Welcome to the Homeschool Loftcast, a podcast presented by the Homeschool Loft in Deep Here, Wisconsin. Our goal at the Loft is to encourage parents who educate their children at home and let them know that they are both called to and empowered for the task of home-based education. At the Loft itself, we offer one-on-one consultations, book clubs and discussion groups, workshops and seminars, and a curriculum viewing library. Through the Loftcast, we extend our reach to encourage and bless homeschooling parents everywhere. Today, we're beginning a new series we're calling What's the Law Say? In each of these episodes, we'll interview an experienced veteran homeschooler from a particular state. And if we get really ambitious, we'll see about extending that into Canada and even other countries to learn the details about each state's homeschool law. We know there are places online to read about those laws, some of which we'll link to as we go, but there's nothing like actually talking with someone who lives in a state and has boots on the ground and has been a boots on the ground homeschooler there. One note about this series before we get going. In addition to today's episode, we'll be talking to moms in Illinois and Ohio soon. And we would love to do an episode about every state sooner rather than later. So if you're a veteran homeschooler from one of the other states who would like to come on and talk with us about the law where you live, send us an email, info at homeschoolloft.com. Now, in case you were wondering, I'm Noah Tetzner, and I'm here today filling in for my mom, Jenny, who's enjoying a little getaway with my dad. And I'm actually going to interview Tina today about the homeschool law in Wisconsin, where she homeschooled her kids all the way through and where I was homeschooled for my entire life. Well, Tina, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Noah. This is kind of funny, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. It's kind of a mix up. Well, I'm, I'm excited to be back myself. And I'm excited about this series and our, our topic of conversation today because, you know, Usually when folks come into the actual homeschool loft, um, that's one of their probably most commonly asked questions is, you know, what are the requirements legally that I should be aware of in order to homeschool my my child in the state of Wisconsin? Yep. The first question is usually, what do I use for curriculum? And then they want to make sure that they're following the law. So you're absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So I'm excited to get into it. You know, we're going to, I know most of our listeners happen to be based uh, in Wisconsin. And of course, for those who aren't, we'll um, have an episode hopefully coming out soon on, um, you know, the legislation in your state. But first, Tina, before we get into the logistics, let's take a moment to review Um, with our audience a little bit about you and your homeschooling experience uh, in Wisconsin. So how long have you been homeschooling? Tell us again about your family and include at least one fun fact that is unique to your family uh, and why you homeschooled. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, my husband Jeff and I homeschooled our daughters, Rachel and Abby, from birth all the way through to high school graduation. And I think uh, your mom would agree that even as adults, we probably are still continuing to homeschool all of you, right? Um, but I was a public school teacher before I had my kids and before I even started that I had met some homeschooling families and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Uh, it was kind of newly legal in the state. Didn't really know much about it, but I thought, okay. And then I went and taught in the public schools and I thought, I don't really want my children (laughs) in this system. I did my best. I was there for nine years, but there was just something that didn't sit right with me. Mm. So when we had the girls and they're they're Irish twins, which is my fun fact, right? (laughs) Which means they were born less than a year apart. 
Um, I always wanted twins and I'm sure the Lord was like, "Eh, you can't handle twins, but we'll see if you can do this. (laughs) Um, So when I had Rachel, the older, um, I quit my job. I knew I was going to be an at-home mom and I really wanted to homeschool. At that point, it was really just because I wanted to be with my kids. I could not fathom sending them away to other people. It, It just wasn't in me. And I wanted to be the one to see the light bulb go on. It was only after I was home and I started doing actual research into the things they did not tell me in teacher training classes <laughs> that I became an advocate. Um, you know this name, Noah, John Taylor Gatto. Oh, yes. Everything, anything by him is amazing. And his magnum opus is called The Underground History of American Education. And I read that. It was a Christmas present. I think I read it before January 1 <laughs> that year. <laughs> and it's a big book. It told the real story of how public schooling came to be as we know it. Yes. And at that point, I'm like, I'm never sending my kids there for sure. And I'm, I'm going to advocate for other people to keep their kids out as well. Um, so we homeschooled them all the way through. They graduated together because they're Irish twins. Rachel chose to hold herself back a year so she could graduate uh-huh. with Abby. And um, so Rachel is 21. She works as the secretary at our church and also for a law firm. And Abby is 20. She is married and she is a um, licensed health insurance agent in the state of Wisconsin and I think every other state, the way they do it. And uh, she and her husband, Gabriel, are expecting our first grandchild in December. Wow. Well, t- <laughs> Tina, so I know we've done plenty of episodes in the past, you know, featuring we had the whole homeschool graduate panel featuring uh, those who have graduated. You know, um, Abby and Rachel are fairly recent homeschool graduates. And based off of what you've described they're doing now, I'm sure a lot of people would hear that and be like, wait, how old are they? They're they're (laughs) 20 and 21, right? Yes. Yes. Wow. So how do you, you know, when you talk with Jeff and just kind of reflect on your homeschooling journey, uh, does that just bring a smile to your face? What are your thoughts (laughs) on that? You know, because certainly there were days when it was tough when you were in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there always are, there have to be, right. I never regretted it for a moment. Um, even on the hard days, I, I never said, get in the car, we're, we're taking you to school. <laughs> and I think it's because I had that experience personally in the system and I knew what I'd be taking them to, but there were definitely hard days. Um, for a lot of us, it revolves revolve around math right. <laughs> always. Right. Of course. Um, my girls don't like math, but, um, it's pretty amazing to think that we did it from the beginning. We graduated them. They're living productive adult lives. And it seems like I just blinked. You know, it seems like yeah. last I checked, they were like five and six and all of a sudden they're graduated and one's going to have a baby. And I don't understand how that happened in, in just wow. that amount of time. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And every once in a while, Jeff would get um, kind of bummed out as we were in the midst of everything, you know, single income family. So we lived in a very old neighborhood. We drove our cars until they died oh, yeah. um, because we needed to save money and he would get all down on himself, you know, oh, we can't do this. We can't do that. And I would remind him, be like, honey, but you're funding pr- exclusive private education for your two children. And yeah. that would perk him up a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, I just I you know, we'll get into the uh, the Wisconsin homeschool laws, Tina, but I just I can't get over it. I've, I've just harped on it so many times when I've been on this podcast, like every single time. I meet somebody who's in the midst of their homeschooling education or they're a graduate. Just the results of that education speak for themselves, don't they? They do. And whether whether graduates go to college or not, right? I mean, right. you've chosen not to go to college and look what you're all able to do. And the girls haven't gone to college and, and they're doing all these great things. Your sister as well. And so many people that we know, right? Yes. It's, it's about having been trained to think, 
right? Yes. And to be, to have some initiative. Absolutely. And then if you want to go to college, fine, but it's not necessary. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so Tina, you know, one of the things that, um, in a way, when I, when I hear myself say it, like it kind of shocks me is homeschooling hasn't been around forever in the United States legally, right? Is that correct? Yes and no. Okay. So homeschooling was the way everybody did it basically until the turn of the 20th century. Sure. Um, There were, I mean, if you look back at the history books and of course we look at like shows like Little House on the Prairie, okay, there's a little one room schoolhouse (laughs) deal. That did exist before the 20th century, but it was rare. Yeah. Um, Prior to the 20th century, most kids were actually educated by their parents in America um, Europe already was gone woke at that point. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we won't yeah. talk about Europe, but America, almost everybody homeschooled. And even if they sent their kids to that little one room schoolhouse, it was kind of like a homeschool co-op more than right. anything else. Because unlike today, if you were the schoolmaster or the schoolmistress, you were beholden to those parents. They were legitimately, they were paying your salary directly. Wow. <laughs> and if they didn't like you, you were out like the next day. Yeah. So the, the teachers had to teach to what the parents in that community really wanted. And it was kind of just like a co-op. Um, but American progressive politics and uh, I think Woodrow Wilson, John Rockefeller, all those people in the turn of the 20th century, they got on board with trying to create massive government schooling, compulsory government schooling. And at that point, at the beginning of the 20th century, um, they put things in motion to either criminalize it in every state or to get all the kids into these factory schools so that it seemed like it was illegal. Um, And so I don't actually have not done the research to find out if it was actually criminalized in Wisconsin. I think it was. Um, But in other states, it really was always legal. Parents just forgot or were not told that they could and just assumed in fact, up until the even the 80s and 90s, people assumed they had no choice but to send their kids to public school. Right. Because the narrative was just such that, and that was not an accident, the narrative was yeah. public school is the way it is. Wow. Isn't that something how, um, you know, in, in a way, we as a kind of a large American culture uh, forgot the way it used to be, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. we, we always, and like you said, I mean, the one room schoolhouse, the classic one room schoolhouse, that was more like a homeschool co-op. Um, obviously parents had more uh, control over their children's <laughs> education than they do if they send their child to a public school today. And uh, children of multiple ages learned alongside one another. Absolutely. And helped each other. And it wasn't just, Hey, I'm seven. That means I'm in second grade and I'm doing X, Y, and Z. No, you had to master skills. And if you were 13 and you were sitting in the row with the seven-year-olds because you didn't yet know how to read for whatever reason or whatever, you were there until you could prove mastery in whatever it was that was designed for that particular level. So it was it was much more skill-based than just, oh, let's advance them because they're with their same age peers. Yeah. So do you, I, I know, Tina, you, you probably have more connections than I do with people who were really the pioneers of homeschooling, particularly in the state of Wisconsin around, that would have been probably the 1980s. Is that right? Yeah. So um, Larry Caseman is a name that he's actually, uh, I learned this a few years ago. Uh, so he was one of the, the key people who promoted the homeschool law in Wisconsin in the early 1980s. Yeah. So um they, they wrote the law, he and a group of other people in 1983, and it was passed and put into existence in 1984. So it's really not that long that it's been legal again, we mm-hmm. can say, right? Um, 
What I didn't know about Larry, and, and his name is the one that comes to the forefront for a couple of reasons, but it was a group of people, but Larry was kind of leading the forefront. Um, I read a book a couple of years ago um, by Milton Gaither. I can't remember what it's called, but um, it was basically a history of the homeschool movement in America. And yeah. Larry from Wisconsin was named by name as one of the pioneer leaders wow. in the movement. And I just knew him as the guy who worked to make sure that Madison didn't, you know, wreck our homeschool loss. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I learned, of course, that he was he was instrumental um, in getting it going in Wisconsin, but also nationally, because Wisconsin was one of the first states where it was re-legalized. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating. So, um, you know, we, we can get into specific parent requirements, you know, regarding homeschooling in the uh, state of Wisconsin. But, you know, do you have any like sense of, you know, back in the 80s, because, you know, Wisconsin was one of kind of the first states to to reintroduce this concept, like and whether it's Wisconsin or a national level, what inspired that? Like, why would people start talking about homeschooling again? We owe a lot to the hippies. <laughs> I love the hippies, whether they were Jesus freaks or secular hippies, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they really started it because, so if yeah, the factory model started at the early 20th century. And really, just to back that up a little bit, the way that the progressives got that going and people to buy into it was twofold. They took advantage of the chaos in this country after the Civil War and people wanted stability. So people said, we can we can get all the kids to learn all the same things. Oh, that sounds good. We can be a unified country. And then um, they used anti-Catholic bias mm -hmm. because of all those immigrants coming over from Eastern Europe at the turn of the 20th right. century. These progressive people went to the pastors of all people and they said, now, I don't agree with this statement, but this is was a quote from one of the books I read. Um they said to the pastors, um, you know, all those dirty, rotten Catholics coming over. If you send your kids, if you get your congregation members to send their kids to the schools, we can evangelize those awful Catholic people. Wow. And so they and unfortunately, there was a bias there right among mm -hmm. the Protestant, whatever. And, but they they bought it hook, line and sinker. <laughs> and there was evangelism. There is evangelism going on in schools, but it's not toward Christianity no, no. <laughs> in the least. So, so that happened at the turn of the 20th century. Everybody was kind of lulled into complacency, right? And we're going through two world wars and then we're having the 1950s, which, oh, everything is great. You know, we're celebrating now. Everything's peaceful. Yeah. We got the cold war going on. So there's all <laughs> of that. But then the hippies, yeah, <laughs> they said, we don't want the man educating our kids. We want freedom. We don't, we, we don't like this institutional, this corporate model, all of this. And, yeah. and seriously, God bless them because yeah. they kind of woke people up. And so that was going on and the hippies were just not sending their kids to school. They were doing their communes and everything like oh, yeah. that. And, and some of them were probably getting in trouble, but they were like, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so they were doing what they were doing. And then there was a key episode of focus on the family in 1983, Dr. Dobson interviewed um, Raymond Moore. And he's the Christian father of the modern homeschool movement. And he basically said, Christians, get your kids out of the public schools. Wow. And so what happened was that really motivated Christians. Yeah. Who maybe weren't Jesus freaks. <laughs> yeah. And uh, John Holt had been the father of kind of secular, um, unschooling, hippie kind of stuff. Okay. And they worked together. I don't think they were very close friends necessarily, yeah. but they coalesced together and they got their, their different people groups together saying, all right, yeah, we don't have to do this. And so it was those two groups of people together who came in and they said, we don't all have to use public school. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I've heard so many people that I've talked to reference that episode, that key episode of Focus on the Family. So I guess just, you know, God used that broadcast to wake a lot of people up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, like I said, they were lulled into complacency and and didn't really know how bad it was. It's almost like, you know, when the, when the pandemic started in March of 2020 and all the kids had to be learning at home and all of a sudden the parents were seeing on the computers what their kids were learning and not learning. That was a wake up call, kind of like a mini revolution. And I think for whatever reason, the Lord used Raymond Moore's episode with Dr. Dobson to really be a wake up call. Yeah. Well, when it comes to, you know, parent requirements to homeschool in the state of Wisconsin, you know, what are we looking at? If somebody, if somebody's unfamiliar uh, with homeschooling, let's say, for example, they currently have one or multiple children in the public school system. They're ready to yank their kids. They're ready to do this thing. You know, how does that process work? Well, first, they just have to be a parent <laughs> or yeah. a legal guardian. If you are okay. the, the parent, the biological parent or the legal guardian of a child, okay. you have a right to homeschool. That's it. Wow. Some states you have to, you know, have a, a high school diploma or this or that or whatever. In Wisconsin, no. If you're a parent, you can do it. Um, foster parents cannot. It has to be a situation where the child is legally in your full custody and foster kids are really un, in the custody of the state unless or until they get adopted. Right. So I know of families that were doing foster care. And then as soon as their kids were adopted, then they switched to homeschooling. Okay. So, um, but it's as simple as that. And if you are in that situation where Noah mentioned, um, we can jump into the paperwork requirements because really there are no parental requirements. Okay. <laughs> Just be a parent. Uh, but the paperwork requirements, there is a form in Wisconsin called the PI-1206. And that is essentially, that's the only real requirement that we have, but we do need to file it once a year. Typically in the fall, um, but if you're pulling kids out from public school, they were in there last year, you'll need to file it before the school year starts, the first year that you do it. Okay. Um, it's a very simple form. Um, in fact, it doesn't even really tell any identifying information about your children. It mm. tells the parent name and address so that um, the state knows where this home-based private education program will be <laughs> based from. And you just simply tally on the form how many boys and girls you have. Okay. You don't put their names. You don't put their birth dates. You don't put anything about the children. And um, Larry and the people who worked really hard to get this form worked to make this happen you don't even have to tally them by specific age. That's great. There's an option where it says, okay, first grade, second grade, third grade, because it starts at age six. So kindergarten is not mandatory, but it starts at age six. And you could tally your kids by each individual grade, or you can choose grades one through eight ungraded or grades nine through 12 ungraded. And then the state doesn't even know how old is your kid? Somewhere between six and 14, somewhere between 14 and 18. Right. <laughs> we don't know. The beauty of that is it maximizes privacy. Right. So I always recommend that parents never, ever, ever tally by specific grade. Mm. Um, and it's also more honest because anybody who homeschools knows that you're going to be going towards your child's skill level. Right. Right. And you're not going to say that your eight year old is in sixth grade just because he's doing pre-algebra. Right. <laughs> so, or, and, and maybe on the flip side, he's just learning to read. So he can't read, but he's a math genius. Right. And mm -hmm. if you just say, well, yeah, he's somewhere in that grades one through eight. Yeah. It's actually more honest. <laughs> so you file that form on the DPI website. 
It's an online thing. And as soon as you hit submit, you are legally defined as a homeschool administrator in the state of Wisconsin. And that's it. The DPI sends that a, a digital copy of that form to the school district where you live. Okay. Not because the school district has authority over you. And that's really important because in some states, a homeschooler actually is under the authority of a local public school district and they have wow. the right to come in and ask things and all those types of icky things. Mm-hmm. In Wisconsin, the only way, the reason they do it is so that the district knows that your kids are not truant. They are counted as homeschoolers. And really the purpose is to let the truancy people with the school district know to leave you alone. Right. And, and that's it. So that's called, that document is called the PI-1206? Yes. Okay, gotcha. So first two steps to homeschooling in the state of Wisconsin, uh, you have to be a child's legal guardian. Yep. On the um, Department of Public Instruction website, you fill out the PI-1206, mm-hmm. which probably takes what? All of... First year, 10 minutes after that, because you can use the same information, probably four and a half minutes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You got to think, okay, what grade am I putting my kids this year? (laughs) So, um, and then you submit that form and then they send it to your um, school district. Yes, yes. Now, if you're withdrawing a child that has been attending public school, it's a good idea to submit after the PI-1206. You have to do the PI-1206 first, but after you submit that, um, it's a good idea to write a withdrawal letter to the school district. Um, you could do it via email, via, via snail mail. You could even write one and take it in and talk to the principal of the school. Sure. Um, it's not legally required. It is a courtesy. And it's also very helpful because the DPI sends that information to the school district immediately. It's all digital. But the question is, who's in charge of reading those files in the school district office and how efficient are they? How busy are they? You know, if it's August, September, they're maybe not going to look at that. And then they're expecting your child to show up. And if he doesn't show up, they might think that you're truant. Right. And you're not, you're legally protected. But if you go to the principal of the school with this withdrawal letter, send them an email with the withdrawal letter, then they know. And then you have evidence that they know as well. And that letter should be directed to probably the principal of your child's school, right? Yes. Yes. And it's just something as simple as, is what, you know, I, Hey, hi, I'm now, um, I'm taking my, yeah. So how would you recommend people? Um, very brief and, and not detailed at all. Um, you don't even have to say you're homeschooling. You can just say, of course, if you, we also recommend submitting the PI 1206 with it. So they know for sure, like printing out a copy of it. Um, but you could just say, you know, effective immediately, Johnny is not going to be a student in this school because we're homeschooling or because we've chosen another opportunity. And so please withdraw him from the, you know, the district roles or whatever. Right. You sign it, you take it in. And so the recommendation has always been, um, print out a copy of the PI-1206 to take it to the principal, uh, take a couple of copies, take a couple copies of this letter, give it to the principal and ask him to kind of uh, back sign both of them and give you a copy back. So that way, if a truancy officer ever comes to your school or to your home, um, you can pull that out and say, oh, no, 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 Mr. Smith at the school knows this, right? And right. here's my PI-1206. And so again, it's just a courtesy and it's just a way to protect yourself. Having the PI-1206 is really the only thing you need to gotcha. have. Um, but who wants to have a truancy officer knocking on your door when you're a brand new homeschooler? <laughs> oh, exactly. So. Exactly. And, um, you know, if if then the school district or or this particular school follows up with, with questions, uh, you're not obliged to answer those. Absolutely not. Right. In fact, by law, school district people cannot ask you 
about anything that you do with your homeschooling. Some of them do, maybe because they're curious. Mm -hmm. Some of them are jerks and they think they have a right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they really legitimately don't have a right to ask you anything about, oh, what curriculum are you using? Why did you do this? They really just have to say, okay, thanks. And you can, you even have a legal right to ask for your child's permanent record from the school. Okay. Whether you ask for copies or even the originals, the law gives you that ability to do that because you are now the administrator of record for your child in right. his education. So a lot of administrators don't understand that you have that legal right. But um, at one of the um, uh, pages that we'll link in the episode, I've got information about the statutes about that allow you to get your child's information. And there's a sample withdrawal letter there, too. Oh, awesome. And we'll include those links in the description of this episode. Uh, let's talk about age requirements. Okay. So um, compulsory school attendance uh, in Wisconsin for all children, it begins at age six, the okay. year that your child turns six by September 1st and goes all the way through 18 unless you graduate early. So a couple okay. of examples here. Um, if you have a five-year-old that you want to homeschool, whether they've ever been in school or not, um, you can totally do that. You do not tally them on a PI-1206 because they're not six years old yet. And can I just, so if if we're using the, uh, you know, public school grade model, which is yeah. deeply flawed, but it's one everyone's familiar with. <laughs> right? So is is that like, are we talking what the public school would consider first grade? Yes. Quote unquote? Yes. Okay. Right. And the reason for that is when um, the compulsory school laws were written, um, kindergarten, and it, to this day, kindergarten is not mandated. Okay. For any child in the state, we've kind of talked about, you know, you, you kind of mentioned amnesia. People forget certain things. Yeah. Okay. Everybody in the state thinks that 5k is mandatory, right? You <laughs> have to send your kids to kindergarten, right? No. Yeah. For every child in the state, age six is the compulsory attendance age. So that's first grade. You yeah. never have to send your kids to kindergarten, let alone 4k or 3k or any of that other stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> right? So yeah, you're right. So that would be first grade, right? You can homeschool a kindergartner, a five-year-old, but you don't tally them on the form. If your child turns six on August 31st mm -hmm. or September 1st or anytime in that calendar year before then, you must file them on that year's PI 1206. Okay. If your child's birthday is September 2nd, you don't file yeah. for them. You wait until the next year and you get to keep them off grid for the whole of the year. Awesome. <laughs> Which is great, yeah. right? Um, and then you have to continue every fall to file a PI-1206 for every child you're homeschooling until they either turn 18 or graduate. Okay. Um, you can graduate a child in homeschooling before the age of 18, just like you can in a, a public or private school. I was 17 when I graduated just because of when my birthday was and right. when I finished and I had a, a friend slash enemy slash frenemy in my high school um, <laughs> that he was only a few months older than I, but his parents moved him up a grade. So he essentially graduated from high school, like maybe two weeks after he had turned 17. He was essentially 16 when he graduated. Mm -hmm. So as a homeschooled kid, if your kid is ready to graduate at 15, 14, 12, 13, whatever, you can, as long as right. you can justify that, yeah, I graduated this child. Most of the time it's up until 18. So, um, so let's talk about that. So, so what is that? What are the requirements for graduation look like? And we'll get into oversight requirements and, um, you know, subjects and time and graduation, yeah. but in terms of like graduating mm -hmm. early, yeah, you know, how, how young, how old, 
The beautiful thing in Wisconsin is that when you file those PI-1206 forms and, and you become a legal homeschooler, the state views you as the administrator of a little private school. Gotcha. For that reason, you are not beholden to public school graduation requirements here. And I mean, if you ask any private school administrator around the state, they set their own graduation requirements. So that means you can too. Mm. Um, I always urge parents to ignore the public school graduation requirements. They are completely irrelevant. Um, They have nothing to do with anything that you're doing for your child. Um, I had to forget them. I I taught at a high school for four years in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I had to forget what they were. I made myself forget them so I wouldn't (laughs) use them with the girls. So you set your own graduation requirements for each of your children Mm -hmm. based on your family values, based on what that child's going to need to launch into adult life. And then what do they need afterwards? I mean, If you want to send your child to a four-year college, you need to look at the college admissions requirements for the colleges of interest. You can't get away from that. You just have to play that game. Right. If you want to go to two-year college, you must, you know, contact those colleges and say, what do you expect from somebody applying to this college? If the child doesn't want to go to college, then again, you default to making sure you're following the homeschool law, which we'll get back to Mm -hmm. on subjects and just setting it up to what the child needs for the workforce or whatever it is that he's going to do. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Now let's get into the oversight requirements and also the subject requirements. <laughs> okay. Oversight requirements. There are none. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mentioned before the bureaucrats do not have a legal right to ask you anything about your homeschool. If they do, they're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so And that's very different than some other states. I mean, I have friends in states where they have to have an evaluator and they need Mm -hmm. to take classes to be a homeschool parent. And I mean, it's just, you know, doing all these hoops for what? Right. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. Um, In Wisconsin, again, you are legally defined as the administrator of a private school. So you have the freedom under the law to as long as you're following the parameters of the law, they have to leave you alone. Um, the only way that you'd be, have any attention put on you is if somebody filed an educational neglect case against you, like CPS kind of thing, Sure. but then that would have to go through a process, right? So, you know, and hopefully it would just be stopped because it would be proven to be fraudulent within about 22 and a half seconds, but. (laughs) Right. And there are, and there are organizations, um, like homeschool legal defense association, right. Right. Mm -hmm. That, um. I certainly recommend uh, homeschooling families engage with. And I know we're not going to do a whole episode about that, but um, put a link to HSLDA in the description of this episode. Tina, I don't know if your family were members. I know we were, but I know you're familiar with the organization. Oh, absolutely. Uh huh. Yeah, I think, you know, so part of it is interesting in the fact that they're based in Virginia, so they don't necessarily, they don't have boots on the ground in every state, right? right? So what they tend to do, if you have a problem, and I should back up and say, I've heard of maybe a handful of problems in Wisconsin over the, the last 20 years right. since I've been engaged in the homeschool community. So it's extremely rare. Yeah. Um, if you have a, a problem though, and you contact them, what they tend to do is find a lawyer that's local to you that is either homeschool friendly or that they can work with. And, um, and then they'll start to dig into the homeschool law if it's really a case that they can't, usually if they just send a letter to the school district, right. um, then as soon as somebody sees letterhead from a lawyer, they usually shut up. <laughs> right. So it usually is pretty simple, um, but uh, but it's also very rare. So I wouldn't worry about that. It's it's not something that happens here 
frequently at all. Yeah. Well, and I'm biased because I used to do, <laughs> I used to do contract work for HSLDA. Oh, all right. And uh, I just, I can't recommend the organization enough. It, you know, even if, um, it's just always good to have that, mm-hmm. uh, extra layer of protection and just, um, you know, consider a membership uh, to support uh, a good cause. You know, folks that are looking out for for well, your rights. Because in other states, they people are harassed a lot more, right? Oh, yeah. So if you pay a membership, you may never. It's almost like insurance. It's not insurance, but it, right. You know, like it's if, so if you have affordable. homeowners insurance, you hope your house never burns down. Right. But you want to have it if your house burns down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like any insurance, they can use those funds right for other houses that burn down <laughs> right right so it's the same kind of thing and there are states where really draconian laws so people are well, in a pickle and and not to not to frighten people and we're blessed to live in a, a state here in wisconsin where the homeschool laws are lenient but you might say well you know what's an example of something that could happen you know i heard a story and it was something as simple as a mom took one of her kids to the uh, pediatrician just for like a routine checkup and the doctor kind of had a you know, a, a bad attitude and, you know, wrongfully accuse the mother of mm-hmm. potentially, um, you know, neglecting or harming her child. And, it, and mm-hmm. you know, but she called up HSLDA. There was an attorney assigned yeah. to her and, um, you know, praise God, she was defended and protected. So, yep. you know, that's just kind of an example of how how that works. But right, right. Um, yeah. So time requirements. Let's get into that, Tina. Like, you know. If you send your kid to public school, they're learn their I don't want to use the word learning, but their, <laughs> their bodies school, are in the building right? <laughs> for a, a certain amount of time every single day for a certain amount of days per year. How does that work with homeschooling? So the homeschool law ever since 1984, and it's really important, I think, to note that it hasn't changed other than one particular edition, which we'll talk about at the end. The homeschool law itself has not changed since 1984. Wow. Due to the hard work until 2015 of Larry Caseman and his team, because he then retired <laughs> from sure. his job. And I was like, you can't retire. But he retired. But yeah. they, they worked what, really what hard. Was a, what was his role? He was the director of an organization that was then called Wisconsin Parents Association. Okay. Um, they started it after they wrote the homeschool law to keep an eye on the legislators in Madison. Right. Yeah. And he was the executive director. And he did that role from 84, basically, till 2015 when he retired. And their main thing was to be a legislative watchdog. And there were battles here from 1984 until like the early to mid 1990s. There were regular attempts in the legislature to add more regulation to what we do. And then they kind of gave up because they realized that they couldn't. And we have enjoyed peace and freedom ever since then. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the hours requirement that we have has been the same since 1984. The law says that you must provide, and that's a really important word, provide at least 875 hours of instruction every year. That means a 365-day calendar year, not 180 days, because you're not obliged to follow the school calendars whatsoever. You're not obliged to only educate your child on Monday through Friday. You're not obliged to take off the in-service days that public schools down the street take off. I don't even get that, but (laughs) um, you you have 365 days a year to get at least 875 hours of instruction. Mm-hmm. But two things, um, it does not say you must track 875 hours. And that's mm-hmm. really important because unfortunately, since Larry retired, that same organization is now run by a volunteer board. And they have been, sadly, and I don't want to disparage anybody, but I want to tell the truth. Yeah, They have, the law has not changed they have been promoting the idea that you must track your hours. 
That's not true. You must provide the hours. And some people will say, well, if I don't track, how can I know that I've provided them? Um, Because if your child's awake, he's learning. (laughs) Absolutely. Because the other thing is 875 hours using any methods, any materials, any activities that you find educationally useful, Mm -hmm. whether we're talking academically, spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, if your child's awake, he's learning. (laughs) Absolutely. And the math, I did the math. I like math. My kids don't. I did the math. (laughs) Um, If you follow, and I've got a link to this on what we'll link as well at explaining this, if you do the math by the definition that the state law has, you get 4,000 hours a year without even blinking. Wow. So, you know, you have at least 875 if you're just a normal parent. (laughs) Yeah. Do you? Yeah. So like, do we have any sense of how many hours of, you know, rear end in chair the public school kids spend? (laughs) Uh, When the law was written, it was 875. And so that's what they used. They used the same number that public school and private school kids had at that time. The law has changed for public school kids and those poor kids have to sit there for over a thousand hours a year. Oh my goodness. Um, But like you said, it's just their butts in the chairs. Right. It doesn't mean that they're learning the whole time. And that's part of the definition we need to look at, though. The definition is when they're in the school building Mm -hmm. with their designated instructor. Right. (laughs) So homeschooled kids, when you're in your school building or with your designated instructor, it Uh counts. Guess what? Four thousand hours a year. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. um, So so parents, you know, and again, just reviewing for parents who are new to this whole homeschooling process, uh, they don't have to track any time. Right. That's great. Right. Yeah. And some people get nervous about that. They're like, again, you know, should I track just to make sure it's it's such minutia. It would drive you crazy. Um, There are not. So I mentioned that the PI 1206 is the one paperwork requirement we have. And that's true. But there are things that parents can do who are nervous. Just keep a learning log, a running record of what your kids are doing. I used to do this for the girls, not because I had to, and I wasn't afraid of the state. My nickname's Routina. I've mentioned that before. (laughs) And I like um, stuff like that, right? So I made a little Word document. It's a grid for each of my girls, and it's a weekly grid. And at the end of the day, I would just type in what we did in all the different subject areas. Mm -hmm. Took me about 10 minutes. And I thought, oh, if anybody ever accuses me of educational neglect, I don't have the hours written down, but they're going to see these full logs and they're going to be like, throw it out of court. It's fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, it's kind of nice to keep those records and you have them to look back on. Yeah. But never do it out of fear and don't do it because you have to. You exactly. don't have to. Exactly. And, you know, I'm not trying to start a revolution or anything, <laughs> but but I would argue that um, uh, it's not anyone's business how many hours your child is learning. And yes, Christians, we know that all authority is God given. But what is our authority in the United States? It's the Constitution. As far as I'm concerned, doesn't mention 875 hours of instruction. <laughs> I'd have to review it. But uh, amen. Amen. <laughs> but uh, but moving on to uh, graduation requirements. Oh, we kind of mentioned um, that. We, we kind of mentioned yeah. that, but again, just to review. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, assuming that your, um, you know, child is is always learning and and kind of checking that arbitrary box of eight hundred and seventy five hours of instruction. Um, yeah, just remind me, Tina. So, how does that work? It, at what point can they graduate? Like, is it so many years of that many hours of instruction, and nope. then they're good? Whenever or? you decide that the child is ready. Okay. So, um, and again, I would say that you have to look at, 
is your child ready to launch into a step of adult life? Right. Right. That's really the measure. Is my child at 16 ready to start taking college classes enough so that I'm not just going to do dual credit, but I'm actually going to graduate them and they're going to go full time? Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, you could have them take dual credit classes and still stay a homeschooled student. But, you know, if the child's ready emotionally, cognitively, go for it. Right. Um, There's a family I know they happen to be in Texas, but um, the oldest sister is my age. So (laughs) she was homeschooled in Texas and she's my age. So it's amazing. Um, They had to kind of flee sometimes because it wasn't always legal. But um, she and all her siblings had their master's degrees before they were 18 years old. Really? All seven siblings. Wow. Because they kind of graduated from homeschool at age 10 because their mom was just a machine. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) They were just capable. So I'm not advocating that necessarily, but whenever you as the parent administrator decide your child's ready to graduate, you can do it. So they had their master's degrees from college? Yeah. That was um, at the time, because this would have been in the 1980s. Yeah. Um, what then this was a Christian family, but the only place where they could do like correspondence courses yeah. um, was Brigham Young University. Okay. So they did that. And then when they had to do seminars, um, the, the woman's name is Alexander Swan. So she's written a book about it. Um, when they had to do like on-campus seminars for a summer, um, she and her brother would go and, and rent an apartment with their mom. <laughs> Oh, I and love just that. Stay there and do the seminars, and the mom would go sit in the seminars because they're fourteen years old, you know. So and uh, and the college awarded them those yeah, degrees, absolutely, because they, they were their bachelors and then their masters, <laughs> just like that. Yeah, so. is that something? How we as we as um, you know, humans who live in a fallen world, we try to monopolize time. Yeah, we try to say at this age you're capable of this. No. Yeah, that's that's unique for everybody. When are you competent? That's really the right. question. So um, we probably should back up, though, and talk about the subjects. Yes. Because oh, there, yes. there are requirements for that in the state of Subject Wisconsin. Subject requirements. Yes. And um, but it ties in because the subjects don't change, whether you're talking about a six year old or a 17 year old. Um, Wisconsin requires that you address six subjects in some way every year. That that some way thing is important, too. Mm. So the six subjects are math. Somehow every year you have to address math does not mean you need to have one full credit of every year of high school, but you somehow need to address math every year. You need to somehow address reading, whether that's learning to read or maybe literature, reading to learn kind of thing. Every year you need to address language arts and there's a whole bucket of content within language arts, yes. <laughs> right? Everything oh, yes. from penmanship to composition and a bunch of things in between. Every year you need to somehow address it as meet your kids needs that mm-hmm. year. Every year you have to address science in some way. Every year, social studies. So history, geography, civics, those kinds of things. And then every year somehow address health, which, you know, can be. Nutrition, first aid, yeah. sex ed, PE, all those right. things. It all kind of in, the, in that big lump. Right. Every year you somehow have to address those six areas. You can also add in anything and everything else that you want to. And right. all of that falls within the 875. It's not like you have to add more hours if you add electives. You could do art, Bible, computer programming, Japanese, whatever it is, yeah. woodworking. All of that can be added in. But again, don't even think about the hours because that just happens without even thinking oh, about yeah. it. But those six areas somehow every year. As the administrator, you get to decide how that looks. So if my 
child was really struggling with pre-algebra. And I thought to myself, you know, instead of rushing him through it, we're going to spend three years going over the same pre-algebra book. I could do that. You absolutely could, you know, and let's say that that child's in high school because math is not their strong suit, right? So they started pre-algebra in high school. You can do that. You're the administrator of your school just because Joe Blow Public School is shoving it down seventh graders' throats does not mean you have to. Those kids aren't ready most of the time. Um, So on that child's transcript, you would probably list one credit for pre-algebra, but you have met the homeschool law because for those three years you were doing math, whatever pace. And then let's say that was freshman through junior year. You pick some other kind of math to tackle. Probably, I would say personal finance, right? When the child's a senior, as much as you need to. So you absolutely can do that. Um, so, and it really depends on the child, right? Mm -hmm. Um, little kids, you probably spend a lot of time on learning to read, maybe penmanship and maybe math, right? Maybe not so much on science and social studies when they're little, but then once they learn how to read, Mm -hmm. then all of that, you know, you can expand upon. So you can definitely customize for every child and their needs, as long as you know, and it's a personal integrity thing, because once you file that form, you are assumed to be doing the right thing. Right. So you just have to look and say, how am I meeting that subject to meet my child's needs this year? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, the world is your schoolhouse. The yes. world is where you learn. So uh, a health class could be learning to cook uh, a nutritious meal. You know? Absolutely. There's nutrition in there. It could be going to the Y as my girls did and, and having regular weekly times of working out on the cardio and weight machines. Yeah, and that's that's health. I never once. So I use textbook for some things because that's another thing to point out. You don't have to use textbooks for everything. Mm. Right. If you want to, if it works, that's fine. But projects, activities, field trips, going different places, hands-on things, videos, yeah, it all counts. Wow. I never once did a health curriculum with my kids yeah. all the way through, but I was always doing health every year. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and why would you for something, exactly. you know, <laughs> like that? Exactly. But I mean, yeah. there are people who get all stressed out about that. What are you using for health this year? What curriculum? And I know from yeah. my roadmap project, there's a bunch. I yeah. also know that it's kind of dumb because if you're a parent, <laughs> yeah, um, you're, you're, and also could it be spiritual health because health is oh, health, yes. right? As yeah. long as you're addressing that child's real holistic health mm-hmm. needs and you're a parent, so you're talking at them all the time and, and you get tired of us doing that right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mom, stop talking about nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No. Um, so let's talk then assessment requirements. You know, what are we looking at for that? <laughs> Nothing. Great. The state of Wisconsin does not require any standardized testing for homeschoolers at all. And that, again, is really different than a lot of other states where you have to do some states. You have to do a standardized test every single year, which is insane. Um, And sometimes it's in like third grade, fifth grade, eighth grade. Wisconsin, nothing. Wow. If your child wants to go to a four-year college, will they have to do an ACT or an SAT or the CLT? We just did that episode, the ABCs of the SAT, ACT, and CLT. Um, Sure. But that's not, that's to prepare them for college. Right. That's not a Wisconsin homeschool requirement. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, And then finally, you know, this has been uh, a hot topic over the last few years, (laughs) vaccination requirements. Homeschoolers are completely free from that as well. Um, Again, in some states, you have to show records or exemptions or X, Y, Z, whatever. 
parents should know if they're not homeschooling, you actually don't need to vaccinate your children in Wisconsin public schools either. You can get an exemption. And there's three ways to get an exemption. I'm just throwing that in for yeah, extra two cents here. <laughs> um, but homeschoolers, no. You are, you can, you can fully vaccinate, you can partially vaccinate, you can not vaccinate and you can homeschool and nobody has a right to ask you any of it. So thankfully in the state of Wisconsin, in theory, uh, and correct me if I'm not in theory, but this is how it is. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, Tina. So, um, you know, let's say I'm pulling my son out of public school. I would, uh, write a withdrawal letter and I would uh, send it to the school mm -hmm. attached with the, what is it? P PI 1206 PI form, mm -hmm. which I will then uh, submit to the department of public construction every year that I'm yep. homeschooling them. Right. Um, and then, I mean, that's it really, isn't it? That's it. Um, the, when you file the PI 1206, there's a statement on there that says, I know I have to do these six subjects. Oh yeah. I know I have to do 875 hours. Okay. And so when you sign it, you're signing a legal affidavit, right? And right. it's an electronic signature, but it's still a signature, right? right. So, so that you are signing this legal document, mm -hmm. but it is assumed when you sign it, that you are doing what you say you're going to do. Okay. So you're literally left alone. And assumed to be doing it. And that's Larry and the others who formed or wrote the law. And it's still on DPI uh, papers to this day. It says the goal is for homeschool parents to have as much freedom over their own children's education as possible. Wow. That was the whole goal. And again, still to this day, DPI even still says that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I know we'll be doing episodes about other states, but just from what you've seen, Tina, like how do the... How does the Wisconsin state homeschool law measure up against the laws of other states? Is it, is it more strict? Is it more lenient? Where does it kind of sit? It's one of the most lenient. Okay. Um, the only ones that are more lenient would be the handful of states where you don't even have to do a notification at all. Okay. And there are some states like that. So we um, we're going to be talking to my friend Nikki from Illinois, for example, mm -hmm. coming up right soon. And you don't have to file anything in the wow. state of Illinois. They don't even need to know your children exist. <laughs> That's wonderful. I know. State of Michigan, surprisingly, is yeah. the same way. Idaho, Texas, Oklahoma. Those are the states I know off the top of my head where you file nothing. Maybe even New Jersey, if I'm mm. not mistaken, I think that, that which is also yeah. surprising. <laughs> Yeah. On the East Coast, right? Um, <laughs> so there's a few states like that, but I would say that Wisconsin's in the next year because yeah. you file that one form, which has very little personal information, yeah, and then you are literally left alone. Wow, wow. Um, no, and and praise God for that. Praise God for that. Well, Tina, one of the things I just want to hit on, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this as we close out today's episode. Um, you know, you work with families, you work with parents all the time who are uh, in the process of transitioning most commonly from public education to uh, home education. Throughout that process, um, you know, are there any hiccups, uh, rights that parents have that they don't know they have any drama with the public school system that you see most commonly pick up that you would just like to speak to? Mm, that's a good one. Um, mostly no. Um, I think one thing parents need to remember is, um, because, you know, they'll, they'll file the form, they'll take in this withdrawal letter and the principal or the secretary who doesn't want to let you talk to the principal yeah. <laughs> will be like, well, you can't do that. Um, because it's, it's February, you have to wait. No, you don't. You can pull your child to homeschool 
at any time of the year. That's a yeah. really important thing to know. You, you don't have to wait till that window in the fall. Yeah. Um, but what I tell parents is homeschooling is not those people's wheelhouse. So unless they give you a reason to assume that they're being jerks, right? assume that they're just ignorant. And I say that in the sense of they just don't know. Right. And you know, why would they? Why would they? Exactly. So give them the benefit of the doubt that they really just don't know about the homeschool law and that it's your job to just know, make sure that you know what's mm-hmm. necessary. Um, and some of the links that will be in the episode, I do give statute numbers. So people yeah. really, if they had an issue, they could say, well, no, according to, you know, 118 point, whatever, whatever, this is true. Right. Mm-hmm. So just make sure, but most of the time they're going to be fine. They're going to be like, oh, we're so, we're so sorry to lose you, but okay, come back whenever. Most people will be just fine. Mm. Um, the people that have the most problem are people whose kids have identified special needs. And the schools mm. will often push back against that. And they will say, oh, you really can't meet Johnny's needs. You need to keep him in school because, you know, he's dyslexic and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I know from having been a public school teacher, there are legitimately caring teachers who really think that they can do well by your child. And they really mean that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who know about the money and they know that every identified special needs child gets double the state and federal aid that regular kids get. And they don't want to lose the money. Wow. So they're going to try to bully you in some cases. And I, and I say that specifically with special needs situations because it does happen that way. They will try to bully you into keeping your child in. And guilt you about it. And nine, if they bully you, it's because they want the money. Yeah, right. So just be aware of that and stand strong. Because as a homeschooler, you have the authority over your child. In fact, parental rights, basic parental rights, you have authority over your child no matter right. what, right? But especially as a homeschooler. And there are so much, like, there's there's a plethora of resources for parents homeschooling yes. with special needs. Wouldn't you say, Tina? Absolutely. You know, my roadmap, I have how, dozens and dozens of options. There's a whole category for special needs broken down by all different kinds of special needs. And lots of them are specific to homeschoolers and yeah. they're homeschool parents themselves. And now they put together resources. So, Oh, I love that. Well, Tina, as we wrap out today's episode, any parting thoughts on what it's like to homeschool in the state of Wisconsin? Mm -hmm. It was delightful uh, to do that from a legal standpoint and a bureaucracy standpoint. It was easy, so easy, because, again, you file that form and you're left alone. Um, No matter what you want to do afterwards, or even through this homeschooling years, most people in the state of Wisconsin, at least in this area, have been very homeschool friendly. Mm-hmm. Lots of community organizations do things for homeschoolers. It was just a joy. I never once was threatened. I don't know anybody who was threatened legally in 20 years. Um, and so I would say do it. There's no reason not to. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Tina, this has been a real treat for me to get back behind the microphone and talk about the Wisconsin state homeschool laws, which I know, um, you know, a lot of people are curious about. So go back, rewind, listen to this episode. Uh, if you have any questions, certainly you can um, email the homeschool loft info at homeschoolloft.com and um, reference the links in today's episode. Well, I'm Noah Tetzner, uh, and this has been the homeschool loft cast. Please tune in again next Friday. Thank you.